Welcome to Neuromovement Revolution with Anat Benyel, where you will discover breakthrough possibilities for your life through the brain's power to change. We're so happy that you can join us in making the impossible possible. So, hi Neil, nice <laughs> to see you. Good. <laughs> because we do want to move on now to the second topic, which is how many interventions and which ones are good for my child. So, um, uh, I'd like to start. Okay. Thank you. So I have a, 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 the, uh, I want to tell you why I selected this topic. I was uh, in New York for a week last week, and I had the good fortune to, to do, a, a, you know, 24 consults. And most of the parents I have never seen before, and most of them are working with an Anadbanea Method Neuromovement Practitioner and getting nice, very nice outcomes. And, um, and you know, and the practitioners actually wanted the parents to come and get the consult with me for, you know, for the child, but also for themselves. And most of them also attended the, the session. And what I discovered is that many, many of the parents uh, a do the ABM and they find that the ABM, you know, many of them, once they, they started with ABM, things started happening and so on. But many of those parents take the child to a very large number of therapies, different therapies, and many, you know, almost every day and sometimes two things a day. And there are a few layers to that. But the most fundamental basic thing I want to address very briefly, how does learning occur? So I'm not talking now about the essentials and what you do to get the learning, but the actual process of learning. When we look at, at someone being exposed to an opportunity to learn, be it teaching academics or teaching movement or whatever, it's, you know, if you took someone for 12 hours and took a few breaks to eat and go to the bathroom and you just taught them, you wouldn't get, not only you wouldn't get them to learn 12 hours worth of teaching, they would probably learn very little, if anything, and the quality of the learning would be very poor. Learning is, is a generative, proactive a, a, a process and event in the brain. And it is, you go from the, you don't know it, you don't, you don't know it, you don't understand it, you, don't, uh, you can't move it yourself to do it. You don't know it. If it's going to be learning, it's something that you couldn't do before to something you can do or you change the quality, which is kind of like doing something new. That starts, and again, we talked about it in, in previous uh, podcasts, that starts, first of all, with what we call discrimination. That means that you notice something, like you, you notice that some, somebody, you look at somebody and they're jumping, and you never jumped before. I'm just giving examples. So there is a, a, a discrimination. Go like, 
oh, there's that thing there. Somebody's going like that, up and down. Then you don't know how to jump. And there is a process of differentiation and integration that allows an approximation, by the way, because you do something almost like it and not like it, and you fall down and you get up. And there's a process where there's a lot of mushing about. And then from that, the brain pulls something together into an entity that said, this I can do. I get it. I, I will never forget. I was in first grade and I was actually daydreaming and the teacher was teaching how to read a clock and uh, the bell rang and I realized that I was gone. I did a lot of that when I was in school <laughs> and she had this drawing and I recognized that it was like a clock, you know, on the, on the blackboard. And then she summed it up and I went like, this, this, what's, what, what, what? I mean, remember, like I, I realized that I messed up. And in, I don't know, it probably wasn't more than 30 seconds, my brain figured out what was taught before. But it was so intense that I, re, I recognized it then and I remember it today. So this is kind of like, oh, there's a, I woke up, there's something. What is that? It's a shape. Oh, it's a clock. Oh, she talked and then she said, this is three, this is two, you know, whatever. So that was like, one time that I can remember it very, very clearly. And once I do that, or once a child goes and they learn how to uh, touch their nose for the first time, you're not going to go and teach them how to also uh, bounce a ball. At the oh, they're using their hand. Let's also bounce a ball. Or they're using their hand. Let's also teach them how to brush their hair. If you do that, most likely everything would get inhibited and the child wouldn't want you to ever show that to them again. And that's how children get averse to learning, especially specific topics. So it's important to understand that learning comes in little units, units, little, little transformations. Wasn't there? There. Not wasn't there? There. In between, there needs to be a la, 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 di, la. Research found that the best time length is 15 to 20 minutes. These are the units. Sometimes you can work with it and continue another unit, but beyond 50 minutes, not a good idea. Now we're talking how many interventions and how often and which ones. So one of the things that I experienced, and that's why I decided to make it a topic, because I had like in you know five days 24 children that get a lot of intervention. These are very Loving, committed, New York style parents has a lot of, I mean, they're amazing. You know, to take your child to, to 20 things a week, do you know how hard it is in Manhattan? Oh my God. Anyway, so, but one of the things I had to do with each one of those children is to really work with them in a way that they shifted from expecting to kind of like go da 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 to be drilled in a way. And it doesn't, and look at these kids are doing better and they're improving to get them to a place where they're interested, they're, they're connected to themselves and they're getting, and they're like in a process of discovery to move them to a process of discovery, basically of self-discovery. 
And I talked to parents and I had to ask them a lot of questions, see what they're, and then try to calm the parents down and start, you know, it's they're the parent, you're the parent, you are the boss of how the process will go. You have to be comfortable with the process. I would like for the you to learn to think. So just to know that first of all, doing a lot, doing every day and drilling the child and trying to get the child to learn, trying to get, actually it, it gets them, this process is more and more passive and tend to more and more get inhibited. And the, that means the learning is not as potent as it could be. And, and because all those kids, most of them have diagnosis, but all of them are considered to have challenges, right? Which they do. Then the limitation is assigned to the condition. And there is a question that I always ask. Is the limitation only due to the condition or is part of the limits that the, the, the child is at is due to the intervention. And we don't have an absolute answer because we cannot take the same child twice from the same point, right? It's not neutral. But let me tell you what I know. When we work with children and we do intensive, the maximum we will do is two sessions a day. I do them there around 30 minutes. My practitioners, they still do it 45 minutes because it just gives them more space. It's not so much for the child, it's but for the practitioner to have time to figure out what they want to do with the child. I tend to be, you know, a little bit like, uh, how would you say it, like a straight arrow, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. And I work with, and it's pretty intense, so the child usually is what I call cooked, anywhere between 20 to maximum 30 minutes. So they're not, they're not changing anymore. So I just stop. I mean, I go with them and then help integrate and it's over. Practitioners do it 45. So the maximum the child gets is twice a day, 45 minutes. We ask the parents to not run around, to not do a lot of tourism and to not exercise the child, to not practice with the child, to not stretch the child, to let the child be so that the brain can start spontaneously continue the process and applying what they did. And parents do come back and say, oh, my child. So I had one session, I want to tell you about a girl. She said, adorable. I read the thing on paper and I thought, oh my God. It's... And she gets a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of interventions. And she was very defensive. She didn't want yet another person in her space. So I did what I did and finally she let me do it. Towards the end of the lesson, I was able to put her, she was on the mom and I was able to move her over to the table. And two, two and a half, petite little thing. And I, I was able to start moving her. And first she didn't want me, but I, there was a window there. And she paid attention and it felt nice. So I could continue doing it. And then I did whatever I did with her. Maybe it was a total of five minutes. But this thing that does not talk in sentences, right? Just little words. She's down there and says, I like this. I like this. I mean, the mother was besides herself. She said she never, she have never said this in her life. We want the child to have a good experience. We want to honor the way the brain works. The, and I call it the child is not the bucket. We don't throw in the child as much as we can, 
hoping that something will stick because it impacts the child in specific ways that we might not want. Now, I'm going to say very briefly, and then I'll open to questions probably that are coming in, right? Yeah. The, the, which interventions? So not too many. I will say I will do by two criteria. One is interventions that fundamentally adhere, not because they necessarily name it that way, but that they are in harmony with the nine essentials. Interventions that are not in harmony with the nine essentials, I personally do not recommend. And the nine essentials is a lot about how the practitioner, the professional, does what they do. It's not so much the what, even though sometimes it's also the what, but it's the how. So it's the slow, it's the movement with attention, it's the variations, all those essentials, right? And so if you think about drilling, like getting the child to do something, the same thing over and over and over again for a few hours every day, I think it is very detrimental for the nervous system, for any nervous system. The brain re- responds to it and, the, you know, and things happen, but it, I think it's, it's not recommended. But that's my opinion. What I do and try to train my practitioners is if a parent wants to go into a more different kind of therapies that do the non-essential way, then not to do our work at the same time because it's, it's, it's hard on the child. It just flops it back and forth, back and forth. The other really important criteria is the child. How is the child doing? Is the child progressing? Is there some relationship between the investment of time and effort and some outcome? So, and the outcome is not walking, not walking, yes, walking. That's too big of a gap. The, the, the change is a child that says, I like this, I like this, that never said it in her life. That's a huge shift in the nervous system, the recognition, the awareness, the ability to connect language to it. That's enormous, enormous. So, so that's the other criteria that I would recommend to use. Now, any questions? Um. I mean, we've got... And just remember, your child is not a shopping cart that you put more stuff in and you have more food for more time. You know, it's really, it's a very, it's a living person that is having an experience and needs to be a potent learner. Yeah. Um, I have a comment here from Maria Arnold. Uh, Thank you for refreshing my knowledge on too many interventions at once. I did this when my child was young and early after diagnosis. And then she had a follow-up. I think she was so overloaded in her, her interest in learning wasn't there. It isn't her condition. It was the overload for sure. Mm-hmm. Our approach is much less and lots of rest in between. A uh, question from Matthew Evans. Uh, can you talk to the point that the interventions are not only superfluous, but also usually are too advanced for the developmental stage of the child or where the child is? Oh, I would be. Matthew, thank you for bringing it up. Well, uh, look at, I I wrote it in my book, Kids Beyond Limits. If he could, he would. If she could, she would. So, again, the distinction is 
there's the outcomes we would like for the child to have, right? We would like the child to be able to roll over, to talk, to, to, to walk, to interact, to look you in the eyes, to, to be able to sleep well. I mean, we, we all want that. Good. And then we park it. We put it in the background. You know, that, that's, the, that's the vision. That's the intention. But to get there is not by being there. No one learns to walk by walking. No one learns to sit by sitting. What happens, for instance, with sitting, that there is huge amount of processes and movements and relationships of the body to the ground and transitions from just that, just for a child that starts rolling. Tummy time doesn't do that, by the way. Tummy time interferes with that. But without interference, the child learns to roll from the back to the belly it's a huge discovery for the brain. It discovers that it can displace itself in space. Do you think that that might be an element that's important for walking? And now then what happens, the child, you know, moves and reaches for things and so on. And one time when it wants to roll, the head goes too far forward and, and it sits, finds itself sitting up. That's one of the ways that kids sit up for first time. But they don't do it after they roll two times. There needs to be so many more permutations in space and the feeling of, of the bones give us the ability to move, right? I mean, without the bones, we'd just be a puddle on the floor. So, so the, trying to get the child to do what they can by asking them to do what they can is one of the weakest, least effective ways to do it and leads for a lot of limitations and likely failure. It depends where the child is at or learning to do poorly or learning to hate learning or learning that they're not smart or whatever. So, I mean, nobody hates learning, but hating the what we call, you know, learning. And so you want to, if you bring your child to a practitioner that's want, if, if it were my child and they wanted to sit her up and sit her up and sit her up and when she's kind of sitting, I just go away. I won't come back. And on the other hand, if, also if I go to a, a neurologist or something that sees that my child can't do something and tells me a prognosis that probably they'll never walk and probably, I will also not go back because both are as faulty. We do not know when the child's brain is getting on the path of learning, of differentiating and integrating and gaining new little things, this thing and this thing and this thing, and now they can track better. And now they were able to bring a piece of apple to their mouth. Now they said, I like it. Now they get more interested in people. Now they're less afraid. Now they can go down the slide, whatever it is. When that happens, we don't know how far it'll go. We really don't know. And of course, in my book, I'm mentioning again and again, but it's Elizabeth. She was diagnosed with global brain damage, put her in an institution. She'll never do anything. And she looked like that, but then she learned something. And then she learned something else. And then she learned. And then she learned to learn more and more. And guess what? All the way to two master's degree. I worked with her until, the, until she was 21. I, the last sessions I gave her when she was 21, and the last time I saw her was at her wedding. So, and not everybody will go as far as Elizabeth, but she was my school because the parents kept bringing her back and they kept bringing her back. 
So both Elizabeth and I had the opportunity to be in the process, be in the process. And when she got older, there's a video of that if you search on YouTube, where she says that every time she gets lessons, she feels so much better. She feels smarter because she is smarter, because her brain works better. So you have to be the boss. You have to ensure to not get pulled into, but they're three years old and they're supposed to. Elizabeth started walking independently. She was around nine years old. So feeding into exactly that reply that you made, um, Erica, who you, whose question you answered earlier, she says, I have to say slow is difficult sometimes. As a mom of a hypertonic toddler, this physical therapist and doctors have set these hard goals, and that is hard as a mom to back off and let him grow at his own pace. I feel pressure to fix my son. She says, I needed this podcast. Thank you. I'm confident how to move forward. Wonderful. And I want to say more than that. Erica, just to not do what the doctors and therapists say is not enough. Your son does need input. Now, I, you know, it, I don't benefit from it personally. I don't get percentages or cuts or anything. But if you have a practitioner in your area, an ABM and a practitioner, or if you're able to travel to one of the practitioners anywhere in the world, actually, uh, where there are practitioners, I would strongly recommend you take the child so that the child gets supported in the process uh, if you're at all inclined to do that. Definitely. I Again, I would just, I, I took my kid when she was little. I took her out. I moved her from certain classes to other because I watched, you know, I had to be very, very skillful, uh, you know, without offending the teachers and the system. But she was in a certain class, math class, when she was in high school in an advanced class of math with a teacher. I have a degree in statistics and I heard how he talked about how he teaches. And then I saw what she, she what he was doing with her. I knew he was going to kill off her brain. And guess what? And, and my daughter's father is a professor of statistics in the university. So we, we, we kind of have a, you know, and he's brilliant. And I said to him, this is going to be not good. And he went, yeah, 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 it's okay. Sure enough, not only she couldn't figure out any of the math and started failing, she started failing in all the other subjects. That's what I'm talking about. So I made sure to move her to a non-advanced class with the same, you know, math teacher. And she became a very good student again. It's, it's, we, we have to come from a place that we, I, I know how, what I know, and I'm going to do the best to make it so for everybody around me. My daughter, my, my father, my brother, my colleagues, myself, and the people I work with. And I just do the best I can. And you do the best you can. Yes, one more question. No, maybe two. And so until you're looking, right. it takes courage. It takes courage. I mean, I've, I've worked with children. Elizabeth. The parents told them that I'm giving them, I mean, the ther some therapist, it was many years ago, told I'm giving them false hope. And then when she was improving and, and they said, I'm just, you know, there's none. Anyway, it, it was way back. So now it's very, very different. The whole world of therapy has changed a lot and is advancing a lot, is much more enlightened. And you still, still you have to make a lot of decisions yourself. Yeah. A uh, question from Veronica. 
Any suggestions on how to help my five-year-old to get on all fours for creeping? He currently army crawls. Do the essentials, Veronica. You see, it's over and over again. If you brought to me your child and he didn't in his army crawls, I would not put him on all fours. I would work with him where he's at. So you're his mom. You play with him where he's at. On, 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 do the essentials, then the brain will figure out the rest. And if he's stuck for whatever reason, if you can take him to a few sessions in ABM, he probably will. And you don't know what he's, you see, when he's army crawling, there's a lot that he is learning while he's doing that. He, he's not just army crawling and doing nothing, his brain doing nothing. So I don't know what, because I don't have a recipe because I will work with a child where they're at and I'll see where they're under differentiated and I will give some, you know, I will interact with them in a way that enriches their brain and their brain then will do the next thing. Yeah. Um, Erica just came back after your last reply to her. Um, she said, I have one ABM practitioner in Houston. I've contacted her. However, I worry that my son has an avoidant temperament and worry he won't take to the intensives. It took him two months to warm up to his therapist. I think don't worry about it. How about you do a consult or you do schedule three lessons? That's how I used to work when I was the only one doing it. You can't imagine how many kids I get that, that are disworn to any therapist. You know, this is part of my my life path now, you know. And um, like the girl I described to you, she, she was going to have nothing to do with me. And I had with her, you know, about 45 minutes. It was a consult. And, and she sure warmed up. She did not want to leave the room. We had our teachers meeting this morning. Neil had two children this week already that uh, one of them, autistic kid, that said no what did he, he say? said, no, bye-bye, I'm scared, I'm scared. And at the end of the lesson, he didn't want to leave the room and he couldn't wait for his next lesson. Yeah. Look, at the, 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 when the child feels learning, is a true learning is a real pleasurable experience. It's a very, I mean, God built us so that we will enjoy learning or we have no, we won't survive, right? We just, we were, we, we are, humanity is, does, is the babies. We're still babies in terms of our understanding of ourselves. So, so we, we, we realize that learning is important, but then we try to, del to deliver it in ways that maybe are not optimal. So, so don't worry about it. If it is, Houston is Alisa, right? Yes. Don't worry. Go to Alisa. Schedule. If it's not going to work, just don't go back. Don't worry about it. There's nothing to worry about. It's so gentle. The biggest loss you'll have is you'll go, your child won't like it, you've paid for two sessions or three sessions, and you know it. I don't think that's how it'll go. I think it'll go real well. One more. Final. Final, final for final, today. Final. I, I don't know if we have time. For, I mean... Uh, uh, just go. Just okay. go. If a parent decides to only use the ABM method instead of typical OTPT, Whatever is there ever a time when a practitioner able to give a structured schedule of treatment, for example, once a month for six months, then revisit, or is it always just when you can 
get a type of schedule? Sorry, I think... Um, well, what we do is we don't have a pre... We see the child and we build, we call it a program. And the program evolves. So I don't believe we'll ever have a program where we see a child once a month, like a lesson a month, because it's not enough input. It's not worth the money and the expense and so on. But we build clumps of lessons. And it depends on the child, their situation, their age, and how they respond. And then we build a program. And very often the program initially has intensives. Intensives are uh, anywhere between five, one a day, which is a light intensive, to ten, two a day, which is ten lessons. And then we, again, depends on the child, depends where the parents live, but if they have to travel or not, or there's a local practitioner we can collaborate with. And, and, and we just, uh, uh, and in the beginning, it's like one child that really needs a lot of work and the brain needs a lot of support. I want them to come for two weeks, go home for two weeks, come for two weeks, go home for two weeks. I think after that, uh, you know, to, to, to two or three of those, we will probably just do uh, two weeks and, uh, or one week and three weeks apart. Because when the child starts learning and developing, they don't need as frequent but they still need input. And we build it to the child, but we, we look at usually between two to three months increments of the, of the work. And, and remember, your child is a living, experiencing being with a brain that can learn in little, in, in small units of time. It's not a bucket. We don't throw stuff into the bucket. Have a fantastic two weeks. And we'll meet again next, uh, next um, podcast. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Neuro Movement Revolution with Anab Benyel. You will find all of our podcasts and additional resources on our website at www.anabbenielmethod.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We look forward to seeing you online for our next Neuro Movement Revolution.